will read the word of the Lord to us this morning. So Colossians 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 15 and following. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Lord, we thank you for this magnificent picture of what our Savior has done the supreme power of His worth in transforming our hearts. Lord, I pray that we as a body would not forget what Christ is, who He is, not just what He's done. And Lord, that we would magnify Him and glorify Him with our lives. Lord, help us to be bearers of the image of Christ in us, the transformational power of the cross. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would give me clarity and precision of speech this morning that your word would affect our hearts with truth, but not just words that we hear and believe, but that actually create action in our lives. Words that would transform Speak to each of us. Prepare our hearts, Lord, for your word. Prepare us to serve you with our lives today. May we bear your image well by your Holy Spirit's power in us. Help the kids this morning to hear your words and to be quickened. And We just come against any distractions, Lord. I pray, Father, you would... Guide and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of very famous images in the world. You know, we can think of paintings like the Mona Lisa. You just say those two words and people say, oh yeah, I know if there's an image that pops into your mind, right? Or... Maybe Starry Night. If you know Van Gogh, that's a painting that he did. Or maybe the image of, um, what is the name of that island? I think it's Iwo Jima. We all know that picture, right? The men holding up the flag. There's images in our world that we constantly brings us to a place where we can, we can picture that in our head. But if I told you that there was an image of God, what would come to your head? Is there an image that we, a physical image that we can see? We don't have that. What's the second commandment? Do you remember? What's the first? Yeah, no graven images. Why would the God of the universe not want people to have paintings and images of Him? Why would He not want that? Because he had already prepared an image to come to earth. A living, breathing image of him. And this morning, our message is actually only 15a. And say, how in the world are you going to get this whole sermon out of 15a? Well, uh, we could do a whole series on this statement. 
I had planned to preach everything that I read this morning, but when I read those passages and just started doing a, a search through Scripture about the image of God, it was pretty difficult to say, how am I going to fit all this into one sermon? So, this morning's mes- message is entitled, Image of the Invisible. Image of the Invisible. So you see there in chapter 15, or verse 15, he begins, He, who is He? Jesus Christ, right? So he's already talked about how Christ rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His Son, Jesus in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he he comes into verse 15 and he says, He is the image. This word is used in Matthew, Luke, and elsewhere in the the New Testament to describe the likeness of Caesar on a coin. Remember when Jesus was asked, you know, who do we, should we pay taxes to? You know, should we pay taxes to them? Because, I mean, technically all the money belongs to God. And he says, whose likeness is on the coin? That word translated likeness is, is the same word here, translated image. It is a exact, is possible in that time, that image on the coin is to represent and be a picture an image of the one who coined it, literally. It's to represent Caesar on his coinage. So here he says, not only that he is the image, but he's the image of what? Of the visible God? The God we can see? No, he says, the image of the invisible God. God was not those images that the Israelites began to worship after they began to walk away from God. He was not the Baals, the Ashtaroths, those images high in the mountains. He's not the Buddha or any other representation of God that we see on our earth. There, it's hard in our world because we don't have idols that are visible in, our, in our, our country, specifically. Our world, there are. You know, they still worship Buddha. There's still images that are worshipped around the world. It's just very different for our culture because our culture has ideology that's an idol. We worship money and fame and power. We worship maybe sports or, or shopping. We, we make idols however we wish. The heart is an idol factory. We will worship anything, whether we can get our hands on it or not. But here... Paul is saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. How is that possible? How is it possible that Jesus, who came as a man, can be the image of the invisible God? Is he fully the image of the invisible God? Well, let's let's see what else he says. Look in verse 18. He kind of uses this language, actually, sorry, in verse 19. He says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for part of the fullness to dwell in Him. Is that what he says? Is it part of the fullness? No. All. Jesus was fully God and fully man. This is a... Strong doctrinal statement. 
Paul is not playing around. He is saying, Jesus is, yes, 100% man. But right here he's saying, Jesus is 100% God. The fullness of God dwelling in him. That's what he's saying when he says image. And if that's not enough, look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. Keep your hands there in Colossians. Hebrews chapter 1. You know, the book of Hebrews is an argument for the preeminence of Christ. That Christ is better. Better than angels. Better than Moses. Better than prophets. And when you get to Hebrews chapter 1, you can see why. Because he says, let's start in verse 1. God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in, in, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. We'll see this next week when it says firstborn of creation. And he is who? Jesus, the Son. He is the radiance of His glory. And the partial representation of His nature. Is that what it says? What does your Bible say? Exact. That's what mine says. The NASB says, the exact representation of His nature. So you're telling me that Jesus is the exact representation of God on earth. You know why God hated idolatry and He hated people trying to create gods to describe Him? Because He already had an image ready. He already had a plan to bring an image bearer, Jesus Christ, His Son, perfect representation. He had a plan. Jesus is the radiance of His glory. You remember when the glory fell on the temple? No one could enter. If the priest was in there, he was just lying on the ground because it was so strong. Remember when Moses saw the backside of God? What did it say about his face? It shone. And what did the people of Israel do? They were like, Moses, hey, cover that up. It's too strong. It's too much. Remember when Isaiah stood in the temple? Or Ezekiel? I'm a man of unclean lips. This is what Jesus is. He is the radiance, the exact representation of God's nature. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is the supreme God displayed in His Son who is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. He is not a faulty image. We think a lot about how Paul uses image in the Bible. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want us to see how he uses this same word. Starting in verse 3. 
He says, and even if our gospel is veiled. Why, why is it veiled? Because of sin. It is veiled to those who are perishing. To those who are headed to hell. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is Christ? He is the radiance of God's glory. So they won't see Jesus for who He really is. The image of God. Right? Who is the image of God? See that in... He goes on, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The glory of God in the face of of Christ. You know, when they made a, an image of Nebuchadnezzar, what was it supposed to be? A, was it... Do you think it had his face on it? The one that they, he tried to get the, the, Hebrew, the three Hebrew boys to worship? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did, did, did they worship that as God? That was idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar was not their God. So he re- they rejected. They refused to worship because that was not God. Jesus, in his lifetime, whenever someone came to worship him, he never said, hey, I, you shouldn't worship me. Oh, you're in idolatry. Did he? Can you think of a single instance? He would say to demons, demons recognized him. When they recognized him, he'd say, keep quiet. Shut your mouth. He wasn't saying, you're in sin for saying I'm... I'm the Son of God, or I'm God in the flesh. That, that was not what Jesus ever said. He always was saying, you need to keep quiet because they can't know this or they will try to make me king. But here we see that Paul uses this exact same language to describe Jesus. He's not, this is not an isolated incidence, instance of Paul using the word image. What about others? Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter six. Verse sixteen or fifteen. And this is des- describing what happened was going on before Christ came. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's starting in verse 15. Who is He? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and what? dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. 
Amen. It's talking about God the Father. Yet we have seen His image represented in all its glory and radiance in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It's a really difficult, difficult statement. Maybe John can help us out. Look with me at John chapter 1. I know we, we don't usually use this many verses, but sometimes in a study, you need the Bible and be able to lick your fingers good and <laughs> get a workout. Let's start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then looking in verse 9, and there was the true light which came into the world, enlightening every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We saw that last week. Even to who those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Whose? The Word's. And who's the Word, according to verse 1? God. Right? We, we believe in a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's saying, when we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. The only begotten from the Father. Full. See this word, full. This is very important. Full of grace and truth. Only God can exhibit full grace and truth. You and I, can we exhibit those things? Not yet. When we see Him face to face, what does it say? You will be like Him. Not identical. We won't be divine. We will still be creatures created by Him. But... We will be like him. Going on, John testified about him crying out, saying, This was he of whom it said, He comes after me, he has a higher rank than I, for I existed before me, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, this is very important. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus is the explanation of God. He is the perfect representation of God's image. This is, Paul, by starting that way, here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, is blowing everything that the Gnostic believers are saying. 
are these proto-Gnostic, these pre-Gnostic thinkers are saying, right? Because they said, well, you need emanations from God. You know, you've got to have these emanations so that you can actually have a conversation with God. That's why they worshipped angels. So by saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, what is he saying? No, Jesus is everything you need. You don't need angels. You don't need to worship these images. You need to worship Jesus Christ because he is supreme. He is the image of God. Look with me at John 12, 45, while we're still in John. John was very... He wasn't playing games when he wrote. He made it clear that Jesus was the Messiah. Look with me at verse 45. Starting verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees who? The one who sent me. Jesus wasn't playing around. He wasn't just... Ah, ha, ha, ha. No, he is being serious. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to open eyes. To display the light of God. To be the radiance of his glory. But John's not done. Look at verse 14, chapter 14 quickly. 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, he's talking to Philip, because Philip asked, so let's get some context. I think this is really helpful. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Just show us the Father, and we'll believe. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to me, Philip? You have not come to know me? Sorry. Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How in the world can you... Oh, I added some words. How can you say, show me or us, the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that incredible? Throughout the history of the world, men were seeking to create an image to represent the invisible God. Right? This this started when? When did it start? Well, let's start. Let's go look. Genesis chapter 1. Because I believe Paul is referencing back to a time. Look in verse 26. Then God said, Let us, who is us? Is he talking to the angels? I don't think so. He says, let us make man in our image. So he can't be talking about angels, right? Because men would look like God and angels. According to our likeness. 
Wait, we're getting it double. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God, verse 27, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Isn't that interesting that God said He made man in the image of God? Does that mean that we look like God? I don't don't believe it's a physical thing. I think there's something about human beings. Did He make fish like God? No, it doesn't say that. What about bears? No. Lions, you know, they're the king of the jungle, surely. No. No, no no other creature, no other being created by God is said to have been made in the image of God. There's something different about man. And there's a lot of speculation to what image of God means when God's talking about men and women. Created in his image. Because, right, Jesus, God is not saying here in Genesis that only men are created in his image. He says male and female. We know that God is represented as a he in Scripture, despite what the new uh, anti gender Christians are trying to do to the Bible. I don't even know how you how you mess with Hebrew because Hebrew is either feminine or or masculine or, or feminine. There's never a time that God is feminine in the Bible, according to the the grammar. But he's saying that man and and men more generally, men and women, are created in the image of God. But is it possible to stain the image of God? Well, apparently, because what does it say about us when Jesus comes back? When we see Him, we will be like him. So there's something about sin that has stained the image of God in us. That has corrupted God's image in us. I believe that image of God, at least in some part, I don't know the fullness of what it means, but I know in part that it reper, rep, um, refers to God's nature. His character in us. So the attributes of God are a part of His image. That's why Jesus Christ is the full measure. Right? Jesus never sinned. There was never a moment in His life when He went away from the character of God the Father. There was never a time when His anger was not just. There was never a time when he lied to get something. There was never a time when Jesus said something that was false. He was always truthful. So I believe a part of image of God is the character of God that he bestowed upon man in creation. Animals, what do they do? They do exactly what God created them to do. Another part of the image of God, I believe, is the, the, the will. The area of the volition, the ability to choose. God chooses. He has choice. And He gave that to human beings. The animal kingdom They do exactly what God created them to do. 
Exactly. They don't go off trying to mate with men, the, fe- the male, or females. Right? The, the created order is made by God for a purpose. And men are the only ones who have the ability to choose to disobey. So I believe that's a big part of the image of God in man. But when men chose to sin, what happened? Let's look at verse 18. Well, let's not start there, sorry. Let's, let's actually look at the end of sin. Verse 8 of chapter 3. This is 3, 8. So up until this point, God had put the man in the Garden of Eden, Right? That's Genesis 2.15. To keep it. He commanded him just to take care of it. To be a steward of it. He gave him the command. Do not eat of this tree because if you do, you have the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And if you do that, you will surely die. That is the the payment. Well, verse 8, he says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is after they've sinned, they've eaten the fruit. Most likely, not an apple. Some kind of fruit that they could bite into. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. How did they know it was the Lord? Because they had spent time with Him. This was not uncommon. They knew He would be coming. Because God walked in the garden with them regularly. You know, our our brains don't just automatically know something is true. We have to be taught. We don't realize it because by the time we learn the sounds, we've already... We don't realize we learned it. We're, We're babies. We don't remember the first time we learned the word mama. Just somehow it worked. And then, you know, my parents didn't teach me mama. That was something I, I learned quickly. No, they probably did. There's some part of teaching, but when it comes to sound, our brains don't just automatically associate, oh, this sound is, is the sound of a cat purring. No, we, we hear the sound and we go, Search and find out. So they already knew this sound was the sound of God walking in the the garden. So they had intimate relationship with the invisible God. The closest relationship possible. In the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They knew they were in sin. They knew that somehow the image of God in them had been stained. They were no longer guiltless. They were guilty. Then the Lord God called out to man and said to him, "Uh, Where are you? I I don't know where you're at. Did Did he know where they were? Yeah, he's, he's all-knowing. But he's, he's calling out to them like, where did you go? Usually, usually you greet me like children. Happy to see me. You know, see as in, again, he's the invisible God. But usually you are thankful that I'm in your presence. You want to spend time with me, but... Where are you? Why aren't you over here where you usually are when I come into the garden? When you hear me. Verse 
And what did the man say? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. This is the first time that man is ashamed of what God made him to look like. Ashamed of his nakedness. This is the first time. It's the last time in the history of man when men will not be covered. To cover sin. Yeah, I'm not talking about nude beaches, which are our problem. But it'll be the, it's the last time that men do not need a covering to be in the presence of God. Even in the new heavens and the new earth, what does it say the saints wear? Robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. So the physical representation of the image of God in these, these people has been tainted by sin. And he said, who told you that you were naked? How did you find this out? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the blame game starts. This is the first time in the history of the world that people started shifting blame and not taking responsibility. And this is a big problem for men in general. Men, not women as as often, but men are more likely to blame others than to take responsibility. Especially, this is why it's so important when we're training young men, children, to take responsibility for their action. Because it started, this was the first time that Eve ever looked at, do you think she looked at him and said, oh, thanks for blaming me, Adam. No, that's the first time in their relationship that there was contention. Sin brought it in that quick. And then what, what, is, what does Eve say? Oh, well, God, the man doesn't just blame Eve. He, he blames God for giving him an Eve. Though he said, Woo! You're flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. He liked her, but the problem is he didn't lead her well. But we get the blame game. Until eventually, it's all the serpent's fault. We... We were just deceived. We, we, you know, but God doesn't leave it there. He, he says, no, you have blame. You are responsible for your actions. And this was his punishment. Finally, you know, we already know he's, his life is going to be difficult. He's going to have to deal with lots of effort. Work was not exhausting pre-sin. Work is not a punishment of the fall. It is, the punishment is the, the exhaustion that comes from it. It was not exhausting before. Right, Because God says, in toil you will eat of it. Talking about the fruit and the plants of the field. So and then verse 22, we see the reason, in my opinion, from Scripture, why men from this point forward were so desperate to create an image of the invisible God. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he must stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out 
from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. They were kicked out of the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God Almighty. And so, from that point forward, man was in search of an image or a, a thing to worship. I believe. This is, again, you can come to your own conclusion, but it is when they were kicked out of the Garden even that you begin to see sin become rampant. Cain killing his brother. Why? Because God wouldn't receive his blessing and he was jealous. And then you see idolatry spring up. Men looking for something visible to worship. Because men had destructed and tainted the image of God in them. I believe all men have a part of the image of God in them. They're just so veiled and blinded by their sin that they cannot see it. And it's not till the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. That's why we're searching. You know, people are searching for meaning. I was reading a book by a, a very Unitarian Christian. Not because I want to agree with these people, but I want to see what people are saying in our world, what they're saying about these kinds of things. And this woman had some good points. I'm not going to disagree, say that everything she said was wrong, but the problem is she's trying to find meaning in herself. That's what our world's doing. Their, their meaning and their identity is so wrapped up in themselves that they can't find God. You will not find meaning in your own person. You need Jesus. You need Him, the image of the invisible God. We will not find meaning until we find Him. Because God in us is what gives us hope. It gives us meaning no matter what the circumstances. It's so interesting. I, I told you about the Darlene Dibler story last week in our sermon. I listened to a different story of a psychologist who went through, he was Jewish, and he went through the concentration camps. And it's so interesting, he's talking about finding meaning in his life, but you can see in his being, he's trying to find meaning in, in family and other things. But guess what? This is sad. It's heartbreaking. When he got got out of the concentration camps, his whole family was gone. We need meaning that comes from the creator of the universe. It is everlasting meaning. It will never end because he is God. And as believers... This is something we must hold on to. Jesus is God. This is something that is being attacked all over. There are plenty of people who would, will darken a church door to hear things like, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus, I can live by Jesus' teachings. But there are Thousands upon thousands of millions of people who refuse to walk into a church that says that Jesus is the Son of God. This doctrine is so strong. And when this says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, it throws all that away. We cannot deny the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, as our Lord. Because if we do, we will not make it. I am not playing. There's no games here. If someone denies the divinity of Jesus Christ and denies that he is the full image of Jesus of God the Father, they are denying the truth of God's word. 
Jehovah's Witnesses do this. Mormons do this. Holiness Pentecostals deny the deny it too. Or the uh, what is it called? Oneness Pentecostals. Sorry. This is why we have to be careful as believers not to believe, to be very discerning about what people are saying. That's what Paul's saying to the church at, at Colossae. You cannot deny what you're saying. You cannot worship angels and say that Jesus is the Son of God because Jesus came in the flesh, so there's no reason to have all these emanations. Again, we kind of described that last week. We have all these emanations from God so that you can have a relationship. No, we only need Jesus Christ. Look with me at Hebrews one more time. I just thought about this verse. So let me find it quickly. Anybody remember where it says, it was talking about Jesus as intercessor in Hebrews. Maybe I've gone too far. Maybe not too far. Seven. Start in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through angels. Is that what He says? Through saints... No, through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. We don't need to go through anyone because we have a perfect image bearer. You and I, guess what? We're image bearers. We are going out in the world and we're Bearing the image of Christ in us. The hope of glory. The radiance of God. Why do you think when you encounter a true believer in the world, you're like, that person's different. They're not like the other person that works at Kroger. They're not like this other person that works at that body shop. or They're not like that person who flies that airplane. When you encounter a bearer of the name of Jesus Christ, their countenance is different. Because they have been encountered by the image bearer himself, Jesus Christ. We are image bearers. We, we didn't cease to be image bearers. That's why the, the Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. Right? Because we are returning the image of Christ, the image of God to the world so that all parts of the world will have the countenance, the glory of God shining brightly. Not that we're perfect image bearers, because I am not. But we are all image bearers. How we show the image of God is, is different for each person. You know, for fathers, today is Father's Day. We have a grave responsibility to image the Father, to show the love of the Father to our children, to our grandchildren, to children who aren't even our own, to grandchildren who aren't even our own, to other fathers. We have a responsibility to show the character of God in the way that we interact with others, the grace that we show, 
the mercy, the justice. How we deal with sin. That is a way in which we show the love of God. For mothers, (coughs) it looks differently. Different. The way that you do that with your kids and grandkids and your great-grandkids. So, Since we have some great-grandparents here. We have a responsibility as believers to display the image of God in our lives, in the way that we live. Because Christ has changed us. The reason people will ask you for the hope within you is because you don't act like the world when the hard times come. You keep trusting in Him. I've met a handful of people in my life, I'm not saying that you all don't, but the first time I met them, where I was like, that person's got to be a Christian. There's something different about their countenance. I'm sure we all have met someone like that before. Completely out of the blue and totally different. I want that to be myself. I want my kids to look at me and say, yeah, Dad wasn't perfect, but he pointed us to the perfect Father. I know Megan wants our kids to see the love of Christ in her towards them. The question for us today is, do we believe that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Because if we do, we're not going to be running around trying to find other alternate opportunities, other idols to replace We don't need another intercessor. We have Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of His glory. And let's end in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians Chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him, this is describing Jesus, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. You and I want to have completeness in our life. We want to be complete. It is only in Jesus Christ, for He is the fullness of God in the flesh. Like we say, He's 100% God, 100% man. He's he's not half and half. He's not like these superheroes in the comic books who have flaws. Right? Go read any comic book. You will not find a flawless comic book character. They actually did that with Batman or Superman. Superman kept getting more and more powerful. And they realized that nobody wanted to read about him because he wasn't relatable. He was too perfect. To, like, how could anybody kill him? So then they created Kryptonite. They they gave him flaws so that he would be more... But we don't need a Savior who has flaws. We need a Savior who is the image of the invisible God. We need a Savior who conquered death, overcame the grave, and He transforms our lives and our hearts and brings us into the kingdom of God, making us heirs with Him. Is that what we want? Or do we want an alternate route because we don't like the one that Jesus commands? That's what the problem is going on in Colossae. The Jesus of Paul is hard. He demands all of your life, everything. But the Jesus of the Gnostics, oh, well, I can kind of keep him out in left field and, and just go to him when I really need him. 
Until then, I'll just go hang out with the angels that let me do whatever I want. If I, I can puff myself up with my, my supposed knowledge. But we need a real Savior. We need Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would not forget who you are, what you've done, and who Jesus is, your Son, your beloved Son. The perfect image bearer. Jesus bore the image that we could not perfectly bear. And He died on a cross so that we could have relationship with You and be restored to intimacy with You, be restored to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. We thank You, Lord, that we have an intercessor who has come to us. Let us not take this lightly, Lord. Let us be bearers of Your image Give us hearts of repentance when we do not do that well. Guide us, I pray, by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.